0: All right, if you have your Bibles, grab those. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, we'll get to uh, verse 14 here in just a few minutes. Ephesians 4. 14 is where we're really kind of just home in this morning and start. And so we are in a series called Recalculating. Um, and the whole premise and the whole thought is kind of birthed out of uh, this idea of taking a trip. And as you take a trip, you either plug in your coordinates to uh, GPS or you pull out a map and you look at that and you uh, map out your coordinates, how you're going to get there, the routes you'll take, the direction uh, that you'll go. And uh, if you do put it into an app, and as you are going on that app, Uh, as you're driving the apps up if you miss a turn what does it do it says recalculating and so what it does is it recalibrates itself to give you the best possible uh, route to get back onto to be able to get to the destination that you're heading as fast as you can and so uh, again the whole premise behind what we're looking at in the word of God uh, as we're visiting this thought of recalculating is simply that like who are we as the people of God what has he called us and asked us to be about and asked us to do all the while, what has he called us to be about and to do as his body? corporately as the church and so that's kind of the whole idea behind this and so last week we uh, tackled that the goal that we have uh, is with ministry in our church and what that means and what that looks like and so uh, from Ephesians 4 7 through 13 uh, landed at the aim of our ministry or your ministry personally uh, with the graces and the gifts that God has given you is to become a body of Christ that is unified in faith We're to be unified and together, uh, together uh, as it pertains to faith, as it pertains to knowledge, as it pertains to growing more and more and more into the kind of person that God wants you to be personally as well as corporately. And so throughout this series, what we've done is we've kind of rolled out some changes that you'll be able to experience come this fall. Um, So as you know now, we're meeting at 10 o'clock for worship, and so we've done that on purpose so that we can set up a new hour, 9 o'clock in the fall, September, to be able to offer and roll back out some of the things that we believe will help equip us, as we looked at last week to grow all the more in the body of Christ, to be well-rounded, mature believers in Jesus. And so our Wednesday night's is going to be the same way. We'll start that back up in the fall. It'll be supplemented with some Bible study through the week, video Bible study type things that we'll be putting out uh, for you to have there to be able to follow along with, all the while allowing Wednesday night to match up with who we believe God has called us to be as a people, who he's called us to be as the church. And so we looked at all that stuff throughout this series. And so when you think about the whole body, you think about the whole body building itself up in the likeness to the maturity of Christ, the effectiveness of the body is huge. But when we look at it through those lenses, and so what happens is that the members of the body in that process become more and more mature, more able to discern what's right, more stable, more effective in reaching the world for the glory of God. Of God, So one of the reasons why the saints minister to the body of Christ is so that every member, not just one, not just a few, the hope and the heartbeat behind it. everything that we do here is that the men and women of New Life Baptist Fellowship or those who walk through our doors will grow in maturity, will be able to know and discern what's good and right as it pertains to the Word of God, that every member would be able to comprehend, would be able to articulate truth as it pertains to God's Word and His standard. And so my fear, though, today in the church, in the local body, is that she is so gullible, is that the men and women of Christ are gullible, that they lack understanding as it pertains to doctrine, as it pertains to theology, as it pertains to truth as it pertains to God's standards and expectations for His people, for His body. And so uh, when you read the Scriptures, when you look at the Scriptures, what you see is this ever-present growth, this ever-present pressing from the Holy Spirit toward more Christ-likeness, toward more maturity, and we're called to be growing and learning. And so we need to be able to feed ourselves in that process, do we not? We need to be able to open up God's Word and read and discern and understand what He's saying ourselves as we personally grow in that relationship with Christ. So so I can't tell you the times that I've heard this, and I don't say this this morning to offend, um, but I've been in ministry for a little over 15 years. And in my 15 years of ministry, there is this one phrase that, that I've heard over and over, a phrase that I wasn't really able to, to, to comprehend that where wasn't able to, to deal with or to handle or really a phrase that I uh, didn't, know, didn't know what to do with it, didn't know how to, to, to dissect it or to kind of offset it, but, but one of the phrases that I've heard and often as people leave a church or they go away or they're, they're moving on, and, and it's usually never directly in conversation with the pastor, it's just one of those things that, that gets back to you and it's, this thought that I'm, just, I'm just not being fed at that church. I'm just not getting anything out of it, being fed. Um, I just can't tell you the amount of times that I've heard that. And, and, and it used to, I man, just really just kind of rub me. I, I, again, I didn't know how to process. But over the years, as I've grown, over the years as I've been in the Word, over the years that I've, I man, just asked God to help me understand. I believe that says more about the person that's leaving than anything else. It, what it does is it's an indicator. It lets us know kind of where they're at maybe and what's happening in their life. And, and let me just, let, let's, let's play there for a moment because my pushback is this. What I get from the Word of God is this, is that it's living and active. That's what the Scripture says about itself. And so if, if a pastor was to come upon a stage, take out the Scriptures, open it up, and just read for 10 minutes, walk back down, sit down, We sing another song, we pray, and we go home. That is more than enough is what's needed in this place this morning. More than enough. Like, this is authoritative. This is not authoritative. This matters. This opinion or this thought means absolutely nothing if it's not rooted in the Word of God. And so we gather this morning to rally ourselves around the reality of what God has said, what God has proclaimed. So if there is a pastor worth his weight or worth anything at all for him to stand up and just proclaim the word of God, just to read it, then man, has he accomplished something already. Because if we believe what we believe in the scripture to be true about the Holy Spirit and his working and his doing, I don't have to tell a few jokes. I don't have to get you to laugh and make you feel all bubbly and giddy whenever you leave this place. That's not what we're here for. We're here to encounter God himself by way of the Holy Spirit, for him to do a work to transform and shape us and mold us all the more to the image of his beloved son. And the way that he does that is through the Holy Spirit working through his word. So if I don't say another word today and I just read scripture and I go and sit down, then we've done enough. We've done enough. The, the second thing that I, I would say is this, is this whole thought of being fed That principle just doesn't work out in every other facet of life, does it? No, it doesn't. Um, Who who was hungry yesterday? I've got sin down later, don't I? I'll come to you. Yeah, me too. What did you do when you got hungry? You fed yourself, right? You went over and either got in the cupboard or you... If you're a man and your wife's at home, you get in your car and you go to a restaurant and you get something and come back, or maybe it's date night, and so you and Boo get in the car and you go on down to that fancy dining place and you eat and you wine and dine her and you have a great time. But when you get hungry, what do you do? You go eat. I've got a four-year-old right now. Yeah, I'm going there. I've got a four-year-old right now, and when he gets hungry, we have strategically placed in the cupboard where he can get to. So, if mom and dad are doing something or we're not right there, and, we, and we've done it right, y'all. Like I'm telling you, we don't want candy down low, we want that up high. And as long as his big brother hadn't been in there first, it should be like that. And so he goes in and he gets hungry. He can go over and he can get some chips or he can get some little things to kind of hold him over to help curb the pain of hunger in that moment. And so, I guess my question is if we do that in everyday life, I've got a four year old that can do that. What's wrong with the church today? Maybe we haven't matured much past infancy as it pertains to knowing and growing in the Word of God. And then my, my, my third argument would, would be this when that statement's made. And this is all setting us up to where we're going to be this morning because I believe the scripture that we look at, Paul is going to challenge us and he's going to press us to this need of feeding ourselves, this need of knowing God's word, this need of knowing deep spiritual truths about God and his church and what what needs to be believed. But the the third press that I will give you this morning is this, is that Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights are not meant to be a binge to get you through into the next feeding. I mean, you won't have lunch today and then wait till Wednesday to eat again, will you? And not unless you're fasting. Then, then why do we do that with the Word of God? Why do we allow that to be the case? We eat two to three times a day, depending on if you're a breakfast person or not. Why? why? To, to, to give you nurture, uh, to nurture yourself, to give you nutrients, to give you the things that you need to curb that pain of hunger. Maybe the problem within the church, the problem within us is that's the reality, is that we're starving to death and we don't realize it that we're malnourished as it pertains to the things of God and to the Word of God, and we are starving to death, and we don't even realize it. So so we need to be self-sufficient. We need to be able to eat ourselves and go to the Word of God. And and so maybe that's just the indictment for the church. And I believe that's what Paul's pressing, pressing here in Ephesians chapter 4 that, that we as a church, yes, we need to equip, we need to help you grow in your faith. We need, and we want to be more intentional on in that. That's why we're lining things up to better help us uh, accomplish that. And so I believe it starts with giving you those opportunities to be able to learn, to grow, to exercise, to put into practice those things of God. But my hope is that you um, see how important and how relevant this verse is here this morning. So I'm going to ask you if you would join me as we pray, and then we'll jump into Ephesians 4. Father, I pray, God, that you just move in this place this morning. Father, God, I, I, I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will fall heavy upon our hearts, God. God, I, and I can just be honest, God, in this moment, I need a greater hunger for your word. God, God I, I need a greater, I want a greater desire for you that is accomplished through knowing your word, through cherishing your word, because as I know and grow in that, I know and grow in you all the more. So, Father, I pray this morning as we look at your word, God, that you would encourage hearts, that you would convict hearts, God, that you would make your presence known in this place. Jesus, we beg of you, speak. God, speak through your word. Draw us all the closer to your side and help us grow and mature all the more in our walk with you. It's your name we pray. Amen. So Ephesians 4.14, before we get there, I want to read 11 through 13 to kind of give us some context of what we're going to be talking about. We talked about this last week, but I just want to uh, revisit it. And he says in verse 11, Ephesians 4.11, he says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, all of that last week to lead to today. So, today's scripture, starting in verse 14, all has to deal with that in view. It has to deal with the maturity in view and us growing into the fullness of Christ. That's Jesus' desire and heart for us. Not that we just get saved and we just sit. But know that we get saved and we participate. Participate in what? We participate in ministry. We participate in living out our faith. We participate in growing all the more in the knowledge of who Jesus is and and what he expects of his body. He wants us to participate, not just sit. So this is where he goes in verse 14. All of that in mind. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about every wind of doctrine. That's Paul's desire for the believers here at Ephesus. I I believe that would be Paul's desire for us here today at New Life. I believe that would be the very heartbeat behind uh, God saving us and rescuing us from sin. Is it that we would not be carried about by every wind of doctrine? He's going to list a few more things. And so as I read this, as I look at this, I just, I think about children, I think about how Paul describes those believers there so that, that we may no longer be children. He wants us to grow up out of childhood and childish things. He wants us to grow up out of that so that we're not tossed back and forth. If you ever look at a boat in the ocean or, a, uh, or in a boat in a lake, and as another boat passes by and the weight comes out, it just it tosses it back and forth. And so as I think about children, I just think about their followability. I don't know if that's a word, but, but how they follow how they trust. I mean, have you, ever, have you ever seen or experienced that with children? I mean, man, mean, they just hang on every word that you say. They hang on everything that you do. Whatever you say, they take it as face value. They take it uh, as truth. I man, they, they just hang on that. They are constantly following and listening and growing. Like I can remember my oldest boy, uh, whenever he was, uh, I believe it was 4K, and they were learning to tie their shoes. Just so you know, like, I'm a professional shoe tire, Like, I've been doing it for 30-something years now, and I can tie a mean shoe. You know what I'm saying? The thing will stay tied for all day if it needs to be. Like, I can do that. And so we're in the process of teaching our oldest boy how to tie shoes. And as we're, we're doing that, we're showing him. And then one day, he goes off the 4K. And he comes back. And we start to work with him again. He's like, no, Dad. Uh-uh. That ain't how you do it. I said, really? How long have you been tying shoes? Miss Lisa says, I'm like, show me Miss Lisa. Let's go. I challenge her to a duel of a tie off. I mean, I'm thinking, what in the world? And it hits me. I had to pump the brakes for a second. Okay, Scott, it's just tying shoes. Let's chill out. Hold on just a second. 4K is good. It's all right. It's good. The main thing is he ties his shoes at the end of the day, right? One less thing mom and dad has to do. This is great. Yeah, buddy. Okay, show me what you got. And he tied them. I've been working with him for like three days and he's got nowhere. Maybe Miss Lisa's better than I am. I get that. I will acknowledge and bow down to that. But what hit me is, man, how, man, how they just, he just hung on that. Even though Dad's been working with me, even Dad's been kind of trying to show me, even though Dad, uh, there was another adult who steps in and he, he, uh, she shows him how to do this. She shows him maybe an easier way, a better technique. I don't know what the case was, but, but she starts to work with him and he finally gets it. And so I'll tell you that story to, to kind of outline what Paul's talking about, that, that kids are so susceptible, are they not? They will blindly follow and trust because they haven't got to the place of where they can reason for themselves, where they can research for themselves, where they can test for themselves, where they can think on their own. And, and what Paul is saying is that, church, we've got to get to that place, especially as it pertains to doctrine, the rich truths about who God is. And if we don't, we'll be tossed every which way. We'll be thrown every which way. And what Paul is driving home here is that that doesn't need to be the case for us as believers. We need to grow in maturity. We need to be able to navigate our our way around doctrine and truth and who Jesus is. And so doctrine is just a scriptural teaching on theological truths. It's scripture, what the scripture says about theological truths, the study of God, who he is, the study of the things of God, what the scriptures say. So it talks about who God is, it's knowing who God is. It's being able to articulate the best you can uh, what the scriptures say, what the scriptures teach about who God is, about Jesus the same way. Uh, let me try to illustrate for just a moment what I'm, what I'm talking about and why it's so important that we know truth, that we know doctrine. So as I was reading and studying this week, I just want to give you a definition real quick of, of Jesus, how he's defined. So Jesus was the spiritual firstborn Son of God in the preexistence. Sound pretty smart, don't I? I just read it off the page. Jesus was the spiritual firstborn Son of God in the preexistence. I mean, that's, that sounds pretty good, don't it? I mean, that's, that sounds sounds okay. All right, some big words in there. I mean, if you told your friends that, what would they think? Man, that theologian. Mm, they they're good. What, what about this one? Jesus Christ was the virgin-born God incarnate who existed in all time with the Father, the Holy Spirit, in the eternal Trinity. Man, that sounds really good too, don't it? The, the two statements that I read is one, one of those statements we hold fast to and we are willing to die and sacrifice, sacrifice everything for. The other... The other comes from a false church, a false religion known as the Mormon church. And what they believe, what they stand on. And and, and what I'm trying to illustrate and what I'm trying to show you is simply this, is that if you start at the wrong place, you'll never get to the right destination. So if you start at the wrong place with who Jesus Christ is, there is no way possible to get to where you need to be and end with who he is. There's no way So we have to know, and we have to know how to define, and we have to let that take root in who we are. And church, doctrine is a good thing. And Paul is encouraging the Ephesians here. Man, know the spiritual truths. Know theology as as God's Word describes and and explains it to us. What about this? What about the Trinity? I'm not not asking you to to explain it out to a T. What I'm saying is this, is there's some that believe in the Old Testament, God's the Father, in the New Testament, then you have Jesus. And now post-resurrection, you have the Holy Spirit. There are some religions out there that believe that. And what they're saying is this, is that they're polytheistic. Meaning many gods. Poly, many gods. Polytheistic. Many, many gods is what they believe. Hear me, church. We don't believe that. No, no. We believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. There's not three gods, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. No, that, that He is one God. The, the the Trinity there is is one God in three persons is how he, he reveals Himself to us, how He shows Himself to us. So we've got to be careful. We've got to know, we've got to know things. We've got to know doctrine. We've got to know truth because we believe in one God who is alive and who has been forever. There's not a start date, there's not an end date that He has always been. And so it's so important for us to know. And to be able to back up and to be able to have conversation around these points. Something else that we need to know is the church. And we need to know the doctrine of the church. What is the church for? Who is she? What does it mean? Because the thing is, is if we don't have a right, good doctrine of what the church is and who she is, then it will, we will mess this whole thing up on a Sunday morning. And we will make it about something that it was never meant to be made about. We will make you about something that you were never meant to be made about. And so it's so vital that we understand and we know who the church is, what Christ expects from His bride. And I'm I'm not saying that there's not different uh, preferences and things like that 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 point to the glory uh, and grandeur of God. I'm not saying that there won't be different ways of doing it. But but we've got to know what the Sunday morning gathering is, what Christ expects from His church. What, What about this one? What about sin? The doctrine of sin. Uh the doctrine of sin, think about that for a moment. I mean, who gets to dictate what is sin? How, how can we fully know? And if you, if you watch the news or if you look in our world or if you even just let your heart go there, I mean, you can define sin in so many different ways and we'll categorize sins by big ones and small ones and, and we'll, we'll, we'll not let them uh, really feel the weight of what's happening. Because the thing that I always want to point us back to, church, Is this hard truth? At the end of the day, what does sin do? Puts Jesus on the cross. I don't care how big or I don't care how small or I don't care how minute you think sin is or the little sin that you've got in your life compared to the big sin in someone else's. And that's usually how we play with sin, isn't it? I I just told a little white lie, but man, they, you know what they do. And I just find that so funny that our standard to judge sin is always with our neighbor who's a sorry bum that's probably not even saved. And so we're going to compare how righteous and holy and how good we are to them. And, and we never pull out the measuring stick that matters, who is Jesus. You want to talk about let's, let's measure our sin for a moment? Let's look to the one who's never sinned. Oh, he's perfect. They don't count. You're exactly right. He's perfect. And it does count all the more. Why? Because he's the one that took our sin and shame upon himself. And if he's the one that's lived the perfect life and he has that expectation for us to follow in glad obedience, then we need to look to the one who has set the standard for us. And so we'll do those type of things like lying and stealing, gossip. Not not super bad type sins, are they? I mean, honestly, as long as we don't tell like the big lies or as long as we don't steal the big stuff or as long as we don't say the really bad things about people. It's not really that bad. But then we get to like the heavy ones like murder. Oh, yeah, yeah, we'd never do that. To take someone's life. And and I always like to play here for a moment because what I always come back to is what Jesus says. That that murder isn't the physical action of taking someone's life, but, but murder even happens in the heart. And he says that if you have hate in your heart toward a brother, then you're guilty of murder. Why do we never go that route? Why do we never look at it through those lenses of what Jesus has said? I mean, idolatry Having other gods before? I mean, we could church folk on Sunday morning, right? We would never have another god we bow our heart down to. What have you thought of? What have you longed for? What have you wanted more than anything this week? And if it's anything but Jesus, then that has become an idol and a little G God that you've bowed your heart down to. That's the definition of it, church. So we need to know these things. What about this? What about sex trafficking? Oh, wicked and vile, is it not? I mean, to think that they would sell a, a, a little somebody into that? And it's just worst of the worst. I mean, we would never stand for that. But in the eyes and the heart of God, sin puts his glorious, beloved son on the cross for us. And we need to feel the weight of that. I'm just going to mention this one because I think this is one that we need to know. Racism, same thing. When you devalue a human soul, by background or by skin color or where they've grown up or where they're located or where they're from or what kind of job they have or how much money they have or don't have whatever the case is you devalue the human soul that's the issue here that's that's the thing that's at play we don't get to define how much a human soul's worth it's already been defined by a holy righteous god But who gets, who gets the say? And it's Jesus. It's God. He's the one. And I just want to say, doctrine can be challenged in places that we're not even expecting. Look at what he goes next as he continues on in verse 14. He says, by human cunning. That's just man's wisdom. That's man's feelings. That's just, there's skill involved that. By human cunning and by the craftiness and deceitful schemes. I mean, look at it for a moment. Jesus, right? He's tempted. He goes out into the, uh, uh, to the desert and he's tempted there. And as he's tempted there for 40 days, fasting and praying, Satan comes along. And as Satan comes along, what does he do? He manipulates and he uses the scripture to do what? To try to get Jesus to fall into temptation and sin. And, and, and he plays upon the scriptures, does he not? And he twists them and he turns them and he uses them for his, his own. And he takes them out of context and he tries to make them say things that they don't say. So that Jesus would bow down, so that Jesus would put God to the test, so that Jesus would circumvent the, the direction that God has and the sovereignty of God in that moment, and he would just do and use his Godness to do whatever he needs to do. And so we see that there, this, this, this cunning and this, this deceitfulness. Let's, let's, let's just play for a moment here, can we? And looking at some of this and thinking through some of this because there's a lot of really cute, nice things out there. And the last thing I'd want to do is offend this morning. You don't know me well if that's the case. And what I mean by offend is this, is I want to point us and align us all the more back to the Scriptures in the heart of God. If that's where the offense comes, hear me, brothers God has just been wearing me out. And I'm in the same boat as you because there's a lot of emotion and heartstrings that can be pulled in a moment in cutesy sayings or cutesy little things that are out there. So what, what about this one? Cleanliness is next to godliness. Anybody ever heard that? Yeah. God's in it. It's got to be right. Right? Cleanliness is next to godliness. My question always goes, what does cleanliness mean? Like they took a shower last night? They put on a fresh set of drawers. I mean, like, what are we talking about here? Their laundry's done? I mean, mean, they wash their hands before they eat. Like, what what does that mean? Cleanliness is next to godliness. Are we going to go back to the historicity of the Scriptures and look at, like, the Jewish people and how they separated themselves and they were all about presentation and they were all about cleanliness in that regard and and washings and different things like that? I mean, are are we going that, that old school with it? Because what I would say is this, is that Jesus never said that. It's not even in the Scriptures. The Bible misquote might have its roots in James 4, 8, where it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. The only way to do that is through prayer, is through a relationship with Christ. That's how we get clean. What, what about this one? This is, this, is, this is a good one. What about money is the root of all evil? mm Jesus wants you poor and broke. Jesus wants you struggling, which flies in the face of all the prosperity junk out there, don't it? Money is the root of all evil. And this misquote may be, not be too far from the actual verse, which is found in 1 Timothy 6.10, where it says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not that the money is the root of evil. All kinds of evil. So some people are, are eager for money, and they, they have their heart bent. Again, this comes that little G God, that idol Money and wealth and stuff. What, what, what about this one? This, this, is a, this is a good one here. God won't give me more than I can handle. It, it sounds good. I just don't know if it's scriptural. God won't give me more than I can handle. I, I would almost, if you look at scripture, I'd almost argue the other way. Man, he wants you to feel the weight of this world. He wants you to feel the weight of your insufficiency. He wants you to feel that. Why? Because then, what does he do? He swoops in and he scoops you up. He wants us as believers to live broken. Why? So that we can be put together over and over and over. How? By him. Not by our hard work, not by our intelligence, not by us. He wants you to get your eyes off of you. Every situation and circumstance. Everything. So yes, he's going to put more on you. Why? So that you'll turn your eyes all the more to Jesus. So you'll be more dependent, more reliant on Christ. That's how he wants us to live. Not not an ounce of your good work or hard work or, or just do more. He doesn't want that. God wants you to be fully dependent upon him. And so maybe where this kind of gets mistrewed, it could be from the verse in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you might be able to endure. And what that scripture is saying is this is just like Jesus in the wilderness. When the temptation comes upon you, God is going to provide an escape. He's not going to allow you to be tempted more than you can handle there. But he's going to give you a way of And If we look at how Jesus handled it, it's always the scriptures. It's always God's word. What about these cute little verses here? Philippians 4.13. We're going to go Bible now. Because as I've said over and over and over, context matters. We can't just strip the scriptures of their meaning and their context to make them fit cute little situations that we're in. That we've got to know, we've got to feel what's really being said and what's happening in the scriptures. But Philippians four thirteen, man, I mean, we will quote that in the national championship when our team's down fifty with two minutes left. They can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens. Believe, Dabo, just believe. And I know I just went there for a moment, and I'm I'm a mountaineer guy, so I don't have a, I can't say anything about anything. But the thing that I love about that, and what I've seen, I don't know the guy personally, but what I've seen is this, is that when they get beat, he still gives glory to God. I mean, how awesome is that? The fact that they get get beat in the biggest game of their lives, in the biggest game, and what does he do? He still gives God credit and glory for it. I mean, does God not get, it's easy to give God credit when you're winning, right? Everybody's like, yeah, God's so good, thank you. And then they go on to talk about how great they are, which really kind of negates the fact that you just said God was so good. Uh, but but not him like he'll he'll say no no we we got we got our we got it handed to us today i mean god is good and glory to him and this and i know that there's others out there it's just one that comes to my mind real quick that's the guy that gets philippians 4 13 because what we see in that scripture as paul writes this letter to the philippians there in in philippi what he's saying is i've learned to be satisfied in every circumstance and situation i mean whether i've got an abundance or i have nothing Uh, again which flies in the face of god won't give you more than you can handle Because in that, what has Paul learned? Paul has learned to walk in the reality of who God is and that God is for him and that God cares and that God is working a plan far greater than the apostle Paul could ever imagine. So I can do all things through Christ Jesus, amen, as long as you could with having nothing. And you're satisfied because of who Christ is and what he's done, not because of what you don't have or what you have. That's what that's talking about. Here's another one real quick. One that that I came across just a little while ago has been there, and I just really had never thought about it, and so kind of dove in a little bit more. Um, Matthew eighteen twenty says this: "For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them." So if you're by yourself, God's not with you. No, wh- what that scripture means is this context. This passage dealt with church discipline. It's a church discipline passage. And so whenever they would hear this passage spoken, what they would do is this, is they would automatically go back to the law. Deuteronomy 17 and 19, where it says this, that two or three witnesses are gathered to testify in court. And so these witnesses were necessary to establish a case in court. It's all about discipline. If you can't work it out one-on-one and then one-on-a-few, then you you establish witnesses that see this type of action or this type of lifestyle type of, of, of sin or whatever it may be and then then you go for and hear me the heart behind church discipline the heart behind this Matthew eighteen verse is this is that people would be restored. Restoration is the heart behind it. That's what it is. That's what that verse is talking about. A very good weighty verse. So it's just a few examples that we could talk to. That's, that's why context, that's why being able to pick up the scriptures and read the scriptures, knowing the heart of God, knowing who God is, having doctrine in you is so important. So how do we as the body grow up into mature Christ-likeness? How do we minister so that the unity of faith and knowledge, it emerges? How do we minister so that children become mature, discerning saints. Verse 15 is going to help us see that all the more. He says this, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So speaking truth in love, we create a place where we can grow, where we can mature. Speaking truth to one another means speaking biblical truth, speaking spiritual truth, speaking truth about the life as God sets it, as God sees it for God's Word to be cherished, to be loved, to be submitted to, that brings about a change whereby we can be transformed all the more into the image of Jesus. By the way that we think, by the way that we act, all of that. Church, that's what maturity is. That's what maturity is, is to think and act like Jesus. Any situation, any circumstance. And so in order for us to be able to do that, we have to rightly know what he said. We have to be able to open up the Scriptures, and we have to ask those questions. Who's speaking here? Why are they speaking? Why are they saying what they're saying? What is the context? What is the historical setting? Because hear me, the Scriptures can never, the Scriptures can never mean for us what it didn't mean for the people that it was originally penned to. It it can never mean for us what it didn't mean for the original recipients. And so it's so important for us to know and get our heart around why, so we're not tossed back and forth like little children at every wave or every wind that blows. So, for us, speaking truth and love, that's how we build the body up. That's how we build it up. The saint ministers to the body by speaking truth about God and about Christ's love. And so, we need to be so relationally connected that we can do this, we should be able to talk to one another. And I know our world isn't set up for that because we're in this digital world right now and social media frenzies and crazy that that to have a conversation with someone almost kills us. It almost breaks us. It's so difficult and we feel the stress and the pain from that. But we need to get off of social media and spend time with real friends. I'm going to step over here for a minute and just address something. You making a post on Facebook is not living this verse out. really hoping for an amen there. You making a post on social media is not living this verse out. That's not what this is. That's not, because you can throw up a verse, or because you can call somebody out lovingly, call somebody out on social media, that's not living the Christ life like, like, like he's expecting here. No, we need to be so relationally connected that we love somebody enough to go to them, to talk to them, to share with them. Having our heart in the right place for their good, for the glory of God to be made known so that they can grow and mature. Because in doing that and pointing out areas and things in someone's life humbly, it's God working all the more in our life to get us to that place of maturity as well. We need to have conversations We need to spend time with people the best we can to be able to do that, to to see them grow and mature all the more. See, in Ephesians 4 here, Paul shows us how how crucial knowledge and love really is. Because what we learn in the Scriptures is knowledge without love puffs up. But love without knowledge is confused and it's aimless and it fades into emotionalism. We've got to have knowledge, we've got to have love, and we've got to encompass them together. And so I know that this is a tough, tough way to live in our world that has this bless-your-heart mentality, and we don't want to upset people with difficult truth, but there are times that we need to be upset, especially if we're wandering off the course. And so as the band comes back up, I, I just think of it like if, if you're headed down a road, at the end of the road, there's the bridge that's out, and you've got a thousand-foot drop down to the ravine, I'm going to do everything I can to turn around, whip around as quick as I can, and go after you. That's what this is, is to align us all the more with the heart of God. We've got to speak truth in love. Our motivation is for the truth of God to be delivered in love and for hearts to change. See, love never turns a blind eye. It always, always, always is intentional means that we have that conversation, that we continue in, in relationship. We continue to be committed to that person that we have those difficult conversations with. And we follow up and we check in and we make sure that there's progress in that truth that was delivered. And I just think it's crazy how God just always lines things up like this for me. He just does it. Because I, I don't know about you, but th- this is difficult for me. Like this, th- this, this is difficult for me. Those of you that know me and walk with me, I mean, this, this is tough. I mean, I don't want to upset. I'm a people pleaser. I mean, I've, I'm just wired that way, and so I have to fight against this, and I have to get to that place where usually sometimes somebody has to say, Scott, just, just do it. And, and so for me, how it plays out this week is that I've got a buddy, and in this, um, this buddy that I've got, I, I call him up and say, hey, dude, look, let's go grab lunch. Let's want to talk. So what we do, we go grab lunch, and we cut up a little bit. We have a good time, and as we have a good time, I start to talk. I said, man, I just, I just want to share something with you. I feel from my side that maybe I've done something. And so as I have this conversation with this buddy, he just kind of like, I said, there, there was a conversation that you and I had, and I was probably a little more um, outspoken on some things than I have been in the past in your life. And I just want to, I want to say, man, if I've offended you, or if I've upset you, or if I've, but I'm sorry. And you're a believer in Christ, I'm a believer in Christ, and, and my motivation in my heart is to always press you on and see you to grow maturity and for you to flourish in who God has created you to be and what he's called you to and so we got to do what? Well. We got to hash out some things. There were some things that I said that was maybe misinterpreted. There were some things that I said that, that maybe rubbed wrong. Man, and in that we end up hugging and loving one another all the more. And, and what it's done is it's taught me and it's helped press me along to maturity. And what has it done for him? The same thing. It's pressed him on to maturity even more. And so for the goal for for all of that conversation, for any conversation, for living with people, is for maturity. For maturity. See, we need to be pressing toward maturity and growth. That's what we need to do. And So what we want to do is we want to align ourselves in everything that we do that we can do that. We don't want the church to be ignorant. We don't want you to depend upon the pastors to decipher a verse or to be able to open up the scriptures and figure something out. We want you to be able to feed yourself. We want you to be hungry for the Word of God. We want you to be able to to open it up and, and to read it and to see what's happening, to see what God's saying. We want you to grow in maturity that way. And so we're going to do everything we can around this place to set us up in a way that that can happen, where we can offer some classes, where we can do some different things to teach you how to think through Scriptures, to teach you how to study the Scriptures, to give you resources that's going to benefit you and help you grow all the more as you press and progress toward maturity in Christ. So that's our heart. That's what Christ has called us to do. That's how we want to recalculate as the church here at New Life is we want to look at, and God has given us the ability and the time to be able to set back and evaluate everything that we're doing, especially through the long break that we had, and we want to say, hey, we need, we want to do the difficult things of aligning ourselves all the more with ways that we can equip the saints. So I don't know where you're at, I don't know what God's stern in your heart, but, but our heart and our desire here at New Life is this, is that we do that very thing, that we grow and mature all the more in our walk to Christ all the more. So that's our heartbeat behind this recalculating. That's what the fall is going to look like for us. It's to put some things out and to do some things that's going to help us grow all the more in doctrine and truth that we'll be able to stand against the schemes of this world and we'll be able to think through and reason and understand and know how to read the word of God and allow that to shape us and mold us. So I don't know what got stirred in your heart. I don't know where you're at. I don't know If God's maybe pressing you, say, hey, you need this. I want you all the more to be closer to me. And so my hope is that through this, God has just stirred even the more this desire for his word and his person in your heart. If you want to come pray, you can pray. If you just want to stand up and sing in response to who Jesus is and what he's done for us, you be obedient in this moment to God's leading. Father, help us hear you. God, help us be obedient. Lead us wherever you want us to go. God, do a work in this place. And God, I pray you start with me. God, help me to be more bold. Help me to be more compassionate. Help me to be more loving. Help me to be more serious. God, help me help us in this place. God, it's for your glory and your great name. Amen. You stand. Eric's going to lead.